are so glad to have you here today. My voice will be a bit weak because I'm allergic to Tennessee. <clears throat> as long as we don't have a lot of flowers in the room, I should be fine. <laughs> but what a wonderful day and what a wonderful story we have. And it's a story that we actually believe. We don't just keep telling the story, we believe the story. And that's important to us. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We believe that because of this, we have no need to fear death any longer. We believe that because of this, we know we have friends in heaven, that they love us, that they are with us, and they're rooting for us. But how do you tell a story that's been told so many times? Perhaps it's time to tell a different story. A story that's told frequently, but perhaps little understood. If you've got your Bibles, that includes on your phones, we're aware of that. You may want to go to John 11. It'll be placed behind me as well to a story that happened before Jesus' arrest. This church is very Jesus-centered. A lot of our classes are based on Jesus' stories. The sermons are based on Jesus. Because of this, our church knows something, and that is that the stories in Scripture and the Gospels are not discrete units, separate episodes, but rather it's a flow. Jesus will feed 5,000. He'll give sight to a blind man. They don't get it. So he'll feed 4,000 with less, give sight to a blind man, see if they get it now. He will, t he will put them out in storms a couple of times to see if they get it now. The stories in Scripture lead up to something. And the story of Lazarus leads not only to Jesus' story, but all the way through that to our story. Normal people were not expecting what, about, what happened in John 11. John 11, verses 1 through 4. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the, the village of Mary and his, her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We often rush the throne of God and ask Him to fix something. We're sick, we're troubled, we're hurt. We need an adjustment in the universe, and we need it right now. Because we're uncomfortable, or worse than uncomfortable, we're caught in the middle of a horrendous tragedy, and we know that He could fix it if He wants to. So we rush and we say, Lord, the one you love is sick. If you love them and you have the power, certainly you'll, you'll do something about it. And then Jesus says something very fascinating and very odd. This will not end in death. Wait a minute. We read ahead. Lazarus dies. And that bothers us. When Jesus goes, this will not end in death. We often hear him saying, oh, he won't die. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this story does not end in death. They didn't get it. We wouldn't have gotten it. In fact, when Lazarus is eventually raised from the dead, 
hate to be a spoiler alert here, but he would die again because he's not still here, which would indicate, once again, Jesus is talking about something else. His story does not end in death. Neither does ours, neither does Jesus's, but we don't know that yet. We're still in John 11. We've not made it to the cross. What we see here will help us understand what the resurrection of Jesus means to folk like us. I talked to somebody this week who said, don't tell me that Jesus that, and God knows what we feel when we lose somebody because he lost a son. He knew he was getting them back in three days. We need to start with John 11. We need to start with God never loses anybody. We lose people, but God doesn't. And eventually, we don't. But we need to get ahead in the story. Chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. Now, Jesus loved Martha. John feels like he need to know this because his, his inaction is a bit troublesome. He loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now just stop and think of this. For He loved them so he didn't go fix it. We'll talk about that in a bit. But that should leap out here and beat you about the head and shoulders a little bit. That doesn't sound right. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Well, he loved them so he didn't go. That's the opposite of what we would think, isn't it? We love them so we'll do this for you. Most of us have children or been around children and known a child or seen a child somewhere. That should cover most of us. The incredibly non-observant, I cannot help you at this stage. But the rest of us have seen children. The problem with loving children, and I, and I love children, is that you want to do things for them. And sometimes you shouldn't. You should let them fail. You should let them falter a bit, even though you don't like it. You don't yell at the ref. You don't yell at the ref. Instead, you let them realize, even if the ref was blowing the calls, this world is full of injustice. You're going to need to get used to it. It is not always fair. You're going to need to get used to it. Sometimes in your life, there will be algebra. You must go through that season. I can remember always they would say, you're going to need this later. So far? Nope. <laughs> I had another teacher that said, but this will help you think in other ways. It teaches you to think. Therefore, you can apply this ability to think in other things. So far? <laughs> nope. But my parents didn't do it for me. I had to do it. I had to struggle. Well, it's a big way between algebra and dying. But what if both of these are something we have to understand? We have to learn. God's love of us requires that we go through some tough stuff. It doesn't require him to make sure we never have a bad day. Love is different than that. He announces he's going back to Judea and it's interesting now how these all collide. 
verses 8 through 10. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight, daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Well, that should clear everything up. Let's be honest here. If you're, if you're a visitor and you don't go to church often, you may feel a bit lost here. The reason you feel lost is you're paying attention. This is not what we would expect Jesus to say. And when he does say it, we're not sure we get it. You need to know that about religion. If you're thinking, you know, the people that come here every week, they got this all sorted. No. That's one of the reasons we come here every week is because we need to get it sorted. We need a savior because it's kind of tough. The, the apostles are afraid of death. Lazarus is dying. Jesus says, I'm going to go back there. And now they say, if you go, you may die. You see how all these threads are coming together. And then Jesus tells them, basically what he's saying is, death, the reality of death, and the fear of death cannot be allowed to stop us from doing what we're supposed to do when we can do it with what we've got. Stand up, face forward, show up, even if it's dangerous. Move while you can. But there's more. John's whole gospel is about light and darkness. It's a, it's a whole mo motif. And Jesus says, I want you to stop stumbling in the dark. We stumble in the dark because we don't understand things. People will come to me and they'll say, oh, did you hear about, and it'll be a news item. I'll say, yeah, I did. Then they'll say something like, oh, the world's never been worse than it is right now. Really? Have you read a history book? That was pretty bad back then. The good old days when life expectancy was 35, and you'd either die of plague or have a beast eat you. Those were the good old days. People, it's always been rough, but we're always surprised. I had a friend once tell me that worked in hospice. They said, everybody knows everybody dies, except they think there's an exception for them. And they're always surprised when it comes to them. For Jesus to teach us what he needs to teach us, he's got to let Lazarus die. But his apostles don't get it. And to do this, he also has to lead his apostles into physical danger. They don't understand that either. Look what he says next. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. This is Jesus speaking in poetic metaphor, which was a complete waste of time. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. I think we all got that in the room. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. For your sake, I'm glad I didn't stop the death. 
the death that Jesus died on the cross was also ours for our sake. And he could have stopped that one too. This is a preview of Easter. And we often miss it. They still thought of death as the end of the story. Jesus looks upon it as a temporary pause until the next chapter. I love Thomas. He says, all right, let's go die with him. Let's talk about Thomas, shall we? Thomas's first name was not doubting. <laughs> Thomas was a good guy. He gets a bum rap because when the rest of the apostles saw Jesus, he wasn't there. So when he comes back, he doesn't think they saw him. Let's review a few things, though. They didn't believe in, him, in his resurrection either till they saw him. Why wasn't Thomas there? Because the rest of the apostles were afraid, locked in a room. He's the one that went out to get supplies for them. He's the brave one. When he comes back and Jesus does show up, Thomas is the first one to fall before him and call him Lord and God. Thomas is a good guy. And on this one, he's saying, all right, if he's going to die, let's die. Well, we don't know how the other, the other one's probably going, oh, sure, yeah, we're, we're in. Then look at the next bit, 17 through 21, some of the saddest pictures in, in the whole book of John. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. It's pretty compact country. He could have gotten there. Many Jews had come from Jerusalem in the area to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. I think Mary was upset. If I was Mary, I would be upset. How do I know that? Because when God takes a bit longer to move than I want him to move, I still get upset. And sometimes I still pray to him, but not as fervently, or I'll wait a while and pray to him. What about you? Saying, all right, we're going to talk, but not now. I'm, a, I'm still a bit miffed. By the way, if you're miffed, peeved, or angered at God, tell him because he already knows. It's not like it's a secret. Get it out in the open. Look what Martha said. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. This didn't have to happen. You could have stopped it. We believe in you, but you'll let us down. Christians and those who are not Christians, but are kind of visiting and having a look today, you need to know something. God's not upset with your doubts. He's not upset with your anger. He's not upset with your confusion. He would be upset if you didn't talk to him about it. Somebody asked me once why I still wrestled with God, and I said, well, one of the good things about wrestling with God is you have to be in contact with him to wrestle him. Anybody can walk away from him. But if you're wrestling him, you're still right there. Wrestle with God. She said, you let us down. So look at what he says in reply. She says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, stop right there. Does she, is she asking him to raise him from the dead? I would submit no, because that wasn't normally on offer. 
I think what she's saying is, I still think you're, you're God's son. But I'm disappointed. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha goes, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now she says, yes, Lord, I would have needed some time. What about you? Because your brother is behind you, dead. Jesus is looking at you and saying, what are you going to believe? Your eyes, your experience, or God standing in front of you saying, don't believe that. You're not seeing it all. Getting to work in neuroscience through the years, I've been blessed with getting to see stuff. I won't get science on you, so don't panic yet. There's plenty of time for panicking. One of the things we learned was birds see colors you don't see. If you're hurting, they see color coming off the hurt. If you're angry, you can't sneak up on a bird saying, Hi, bird, I'm your friend. A bird can see color that means you're angry. And as we, that's not, a, that's not, shouldn't be a shock to you. I mean, why, why can a bird fly through a forest real fast without hitting a tree? Well, because they see things in a different frame rate, which means to them time runs slower than it does for you. They got all the time in the world to move around that. That's why they'll sit right in front of your car as you're driving, still having a snack. And you're thinking, well, fly. And they're going, no, we got time. <laughs> I bring all this up to, bring, to say this. We don't see everything that is. We don't see all of reality. We only see the little bit our reality has. And even that is limited. Some of our young people have a ringtone on their phones that's called mosquito. The reason is... They can hear it. You can't. If you're over 20, you can't hear it. Your ears have already stopped hearing that frequency. Jesus is looking at Martha saying, you don't see what I see. Do you believe when I tell you what I see? Wow. Do you believe that Jesus can change your story? Extend your story? And make what looks like certain disaster into beauty and wonder? Verses 28 through 37. After she'd said this, she, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. By the way, the scripture doesn't say He's asking for her. I don't know if she was fibbing or not, but she needed somebody there to make sure she was hearing right, I guess. Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Now, that's interesting. He had frozen in place. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It's all right. We all feel that way. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They still weren't looking for a resurrection. They were looking for a run-of-the-mill miracle, healing. But it was too late for Lazarus. Jesus wept. There's an old hymn that says, does Jesus care? And the refrain comes back, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Mary says what Martha says, and they're both right. If, the, what, if reality is that the presence of Jesus means no physical death, but that's not what it means. It means no spiritual death. It means death doesn't get the last word. It means there's more to the story. Jesus, once again, deeply moved, sobs. Waves of grief coming over him. Jesus wept doesn't mean a tear slowly ran down his face. It means waves of sobbing hit him. God doesn't like it that we go through what we have to go through to grow up, to learn to get faith, to get muscle. Years ago, and there's always something to make you fit and thin without having to change any of your life habits. And this one was, put electrodes all over your body, especially the ab region, and fire electricity through them. A lot of people bought that stuff, thinking, that'll make me look like that guy on television. No, it won't. It'll make you look like a chubby person going, ow, ow. <laughs> it's not going to make you look like that person. There are some things you can only get through resistance, pain, difficulty, sweat. And life is one of those things. It's going to be tough. Look at verses 38 through 40. Jesus once again deeply moved. And this kept coming. Came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. By the way, isn't there another grave story in the Bible where they take away the stone? Yeah. This is a preview of Easter. The Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Probably she's trying to save him from becoming unclean. He's a rabbi. He's not allowed to be around a dead body. Jesus has never been interested in our rules about cleanliness. He's been interested in us. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Wow. Okay. Open it up. What happens next? Well, 41 through 44. Let's go ahead and put that up. So they took away the stone, stone, rock. I don't know, people. Learn English. It's a lovely language. <laughs> they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, 
I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he said this, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. All right. I always thought that should be an exclamation point in the next paragraph, because that's pretty impressive. But that's not the story that he wants us to learn from this. His hands and feet strapped, wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's a miracle. But he reveals something here about himself and about the rest of our story. Whenever he says, take the dead stuff off of him, free him, I got to ask, I don't want to stretch the metaphor. I have been known to mix metaphors, and somebody asked me if I'd like to learn, take a class in how not to mix metaphors. And I said, no, that bird has sailed. And I think they got it. <laughs> I don't want to stretch this metaphor too far. But a lot of us try to follow Jesus still wrapped up in the dead grave clothes of the world, still wrapped up with all the attitudes still wrapped up with all the cultural barnacles that attach themselves to our hearts. Jesus says, let him loose so he can live. You and I, looking at this, may not make the connection to this. The crosses we have here are ugly on purpose. They've got wire on them. It looks like chicken wire, but chicken wire is really sharp so we've got a rubber-coated wire there so it won't hurt you. But they look ugly. Crosses were ugly. People didn't wear crosses around their neck back then. It was the ultimate in shame, humiliation, defeat, loss, irretrievable loss. But we didn't get it with Lazarus. We didn't get the point of the story with the feeding of the 5,000 or walking on water. So Jesus goes to the cross. We have children here. I'm not going to say things that's going to give them nightmares. You know the story. Everything the world could throw at Jesus, it did. Every indignity, every pain, every humiliation, on a long period of time, they did. And he came back. The stone rolled away. He came out. Folded clothes left behind him and told people, look at the scars and now realize it's not the end of your story. Everything has changed. Those who believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, who are then baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are called to live a new life of faith, leaving behind the wrappings and trappings of the world we're called to live what we say we believe and live like people who aren't afraid. We are called to live a resurrection life. The members here know that I have three grandsons who are perfect in every way. My seven-year-old grandson has seen me in a variety of circumstances with big booms or critters or the like. And a month or two, a couple months ago, he said, Granta, 
why aren't you ever afraid of anything? And I looked at him and I said, Lucas, because I used to be afraid of everything. And it didn't help. Running, uh, there's never been a benefit to me of being afraid of stuff. It never helped me be safer or wiser or more in control. Fear keeps you in the dark, keeps you stumbling, confused. Faith in Jesus brings you into the light, so you no longer fear death. We're not stupid. We're not going to stick our hand in a box of snakes or you know, lay down in paths of elephants and say, we're not afraid. There's a difference between not being afraid and being an idiot. And I, you know, I, I look in Scripture and Moses ran from a snake and Paul killed one. I think those are the scriptural responses. But I don't need to scream and yell and run and be afraid. We're in the light now. We're not afraid of these things. We're at peace. We mourn. Yes, we mourn. We cry at funerals. We hurt. But we know that all of this will come to pass because we read the story of Lazarus and we saw it acted out in the life of Jesus. And he said, follow me. You get life. You get light. Life will win. Because Jesus is telling our story. And Jesus is on our side. And then he showed us what he showed us with Lazarus. He showed us with his own body. Beauty comes from ashes. From the darkness comes light. Those of you that are visiting and perhaps you've not been here before, this may seem a bit odd to you. We take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Sometimes we pass trees. And sometimes people come down to tables. There are also tables in the back of this room. And there are two tables up top. And we really appreciate our family making sure that that's all done for us. Sometimes when we come down to the tables, we're very quiet. Not on Easter. This is celebration time. This is not sadness time. Well, wait, did not Jesus say when we took the bread and the cup to remember him? Yes, but that doesn't mean that we're always to be focused on pain and humiliation. I will one day die as well. With these allergies, I feel like I'm pretty close right now. And I've almost longed for the sweet embrace of death a couple of times this week. When I die, I would like for you to remember me. But that doesn't mean I want you to sit around thinking, oh, the phlegm. The phlegm. No, I want you to remember the silliness and the fun and the way I backed you up and helped you and loved you and all that sort of thing. This is the time we remember, as we take the bread, we remember his body, not just a physical body, but all of us who are the body of Christ now. When we take this little bit of juice, we take it to remember his blood because we're all one blood now. And because of his blood, we have life eternal. We celebrate. And on Easter, we do one more thing. We bring a flower and we weave it into the crosses to turn them from ugliness to symbols of life. Now, visitors, 
you will see people congregating around them and laughing and taking pictures. That's what happens when people come back from the dead. I'm, well, I'm, I have it on good authority. Mary and Martha did not take a selfie with Lazarus. However, <laughs> however, I'm certain that they, did, they didn't just went, just go, well, Lazarus is, is raised now. Well, praise Jesus, that's very nice. There would have been joy and laughter and what was it like and all of that sort of thing. So, now if you're a visitor and you're thinking, oh, I didn't bring a flower. There are baskets of flowers down here for, for you. Being right on the stage, I can tell you, they're even aromatic. <laughs> Somewhat lethal. After all of this is done and you've woven it in and you've taken the Lord's Supper and you've hugged people, eventually work your way back to your seats and we'll have two more songs before we close the day. But we're not going to rush this. This is important. And after all is done, we're going to leave these here for a wee bit so that you a little, a while, <laughs> so that you can come up and take pictures if you'd like. But then we're going to ask some very strong, sturdy folk to take them out and put them on the top step here, or the top area there, so that the, the community can be shown beauty from ashes. Would you stand with me, please? We'll have one prayer, and then you will be brought to the table. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the story of Lazarus that gave us a preview of Easter. But then thank you for Easter where Jesus did not use an illustration of another, but he gave himself and walked through it to show us we live in a new world, a new reality. Everything has changed. As we take this bread, we remember Jesus and we are thankful for him, for his body, his teaching, his life. As we take this cup, we are grateful that we are one blood with you now through him, adopted by grace. But we also remember it was not free to you to adopt us. Thank you. As we take this, Father, help us to celebrate and live a resurrected life from this day forward. In the name of Jesus, the whole church says, amen. Come to the table.